Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick. Coming up in this episode, we're going to be talking about two things that you probably shouldn't mix together. Skydiving and drinking games. I was hooked the minute I landed. I was terrified on the jump. If you had asked asked me in the plane right before I jumped out, I probably would have told you I would never do this again. I really just want this parachute to open straight on and... It opens straight at the wall. I smash into the wall. I basically like fly and crash into the side of the cliff. Can you ride a toilet bowl in free fall? Like, sure. <laughs> um, or ride this car out of the back of a plane. Like, <laughs> think of uh, think of Forrest Gump. You know, like that really awkward looking person just standing or sitting around. That that's probably the way I look when I sit outside. Why? Why do you have boat shoes? Is this like when you tried to wear skinny jeans as a 270-pound man and no one understood why this was happening? I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Our first guest is one of those people that you have probably seen this person on YouTube videos, on social media, and even in movies all of the time. And just never realized it. This is professional skydiver, stuntman, and just all around a really nice guy, Jeff Provenzano. Do you still remember your first jump? Absolutely. I remember it very clearly, even though it was a complete blur at the time because I was terrified and there was a lot going on, complete sensory overload. Uh, I remember the blur very clearly. <laughs> Were you hooked from the start, or did it take you a couple of times to keep going? Um, I was hooked the minute I landed. I was terrified on the jump. If you had asked, asked me in the plane right before I jumped out, I probably would have told you I would never do this again. But by the time I got on the ground, just that feeling of, accomplishing something that I had no idea that I could ever do. Um, That moment, I was like, yes, I need to do this again. What was it? Was it kind of the adrenaline rush of it? Was it something, was it the overcoming fear? What was it about it that kept you going? 
I think it was a combination of many things. One was I was always into, you know, just like action sports and just, you know, playing and participating in sports that really connected you to an environment. And I never thought of the sky as an environment or a playground. And when we jumped, it was like kind of like a cloudy day. And the visuals of like flying this parachute after we opened the parachute, we actually flew through like canyons of clouds and it was just something out of like a dream. And I never looked at the skies the same way ever again from that first jump. And it just was like, whoa, it all of a sudden opened this world up above me where I was like, you can play in all of that too. That in itself was amazing. The adrenaline rush was amazing also just because I was 18 years old. I was very, you know, I think when you're young, you know, you connect to that type of activity. You know, you want that rush at 18. And the other thing was really like after I landed, it was the sense of accomplishment. It was the sense of like just doing something I had no idea that was capable that I could ever do in a world that I didn't know existed and overcoming a fear that I didn't know I really even had. So how did you go from that, from you know, just enjoying it to necessarily being a professional? Because I imagine that's kind of a big jump in there. Yeah, you know, and it, it wasn't that that wasn't an overnight thing. Like I, I didn't just go from you know first jump to I want to do this as a career. That was kind of a transition that lasted over four years maybe or so or you know all I knew after I landed from my first jump was that I wanted to do it again and that kind of re kept repeating itself I do another jump and then I was like oh my god I have to do this again and I just kind of pursued it as a hobby just for a few years I was still in school I was still going to school in New York City. So I was, my head was definitely, you know, very, very much into school and what I was doing in the city. When I finished school, I knew I wanted to take some time off and not, you know, just kind of get away from, from art. I went to art school, so I just, I just wanted to get away from like the drilling of producing so much artwork every day because art school was actually pretty intense um the amount of workload that you have people think art school like oh you just like finger paint all day and it was like quite the opposite it was very intense very competitive but anyway i knew i wanted to get away from that for a little bit of time and so i decided to take you know like a year off maybe two years and let me go skydive let me just go be a skydiving bum i kind of did that the equivalent in the skydiving world. I moved to Skydive, Arizona. I came out here to Skydive, Arizona in Eloy because I knew it was the world's largest skydiving center. It was kind of like its own little mini city of skydiving with a really cool community. And I thought, let me just go there and find like that weekend warrior slash, you know, like whatever job I could find on the drop, on the drop zone that required little to no experience. Cause I didn't really have much experience. <laughs> And, and, you know, and just wing it for a year or so. It never was like, I want to be a professional skydiver. I just, you know, found myself deeper and deeper into the sport. I never got that job at the graphic design studio or advertising agency. <laughs> I, I, like, 
I stayed in Eloy. What what makes you good at it? Like, what makes you a professional? I think most people just think of skydiving as like, well, how do you get good at just falling out of an airplane? And it is quite more than that. I mean, I have 20,000 jumps, and I am still learning. I am still perfecting. I mean, there's no such thing as perfection. The sport is evolving. Everything is evolving. Um, and, yeah, it's 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 a skill you learn. And there, it's kind of a multi – it's definitely a multidiscipline sport. You know, you have – basically you have kind of two really big sides to it. You have free fall time period where, you know, you're flying your body or now you also have wingsuits that you can fly during that free fall. And then you open a parachute and then you have your parachuting side of the sport where you're actually piloting a, a parachute. Now – both of those require, you know, a lot of training and skill, um, and and time to to just learn. You know, people think like they see people floating around and doing a front flip back. Oh, I want to do flips right away, and it's like, yeah, you need to learn to fall stable first before you even can turn left and right or go up and down or forward and backwards. Let alone doing flips let alone flying upside down or on your back or in a standing vertical position and then moving in all these positions and then starting to like transition from one position to another and incorporating different, you know, dynamic type movements and transitions and flips and twists. And, you know, it becomes the world of body flying becomes this three dimensional matrix. That's just, it's endless the sport is continuing to evolve where like you become more of an efficient flyer. You can move faster. You know, some of the transitions and movements just become a little bit more complex the same way like skateboard tricks work. You know, if you can imagine all the various ways a skateboard can flip, I mean, and kids are still inventing new tricks and going in different directions. It's the same way, but like instead of the board, it's your body that's doing this and you're flying on air and every transition and every movement is a learned movement. It's something that requires balance, body awareness, and air awareness. And then on the other side of the parachuting side of it, parachutes, it's not just like open a parachute and like drift down. You have to actually pilot this thing in an environment. You do not have a, a motor, so you have to pay a lot of attention to winds and and altitude and figuring out how to get you, how to get yourself to a target. Now, that's just the basic part of parachuting, and now there's different types of parachutes. The same way there are different types of cars. You could drive a truck or you could drive a race car. You know, Basically, you could fly a parachute equivalent to a school bus, and then you can fly a parachute equivalent to like an F1 car. And there's a bunch of tricks and maneuvers you can do on landing and all while practicing like precision landings there's always a challenge there's always something new to do and this isn't even tapping into like crazy stunt ideas like ideas out of the norm of the sport you know that we would do that i participate a lot in in whether it's hollywood stunts or you know just projects that we come like you know kind of come up with sometimes for for sponsors like just these cool crazy ideas that you know you dream of when when you just do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 
you start thinking a little bit outside the box of normal body flying and normal parachute flying. You want to like light parachutes on fire. And- it seems like the sport seems to be progressing into more and more dangerous. I mean, is that what, why is that? I mean, you go from skydiving to base jumping to wingsuiting and all of these seem like they're more and more dangerous. Why is that? Um, well, I think the sport of skydiving isn't, and the general direction within the sport of skydiving, it's just a natural progression. It's not necessarily going into a more dangerous zone. Um, and base jumping has been around for years, and base jumping is inherently, it's more dangerous than skydiving. You only have one parachute. You're closer to terrain the majority of the time. And wingsuiting doesn't necessarily have to be dangerous. You can actually wingsuit out of an airplane, wingsuit, people wingsuit all day long out of airplanes, and it's it's like skydiving, and it, it becomes more of a sport in that realm. Um, I wouldn't consider that you know, as dangerous as wingsuit base jumping. Now, you know, anything base jumping related is definitely like times 20. I'm not even exaggerating. 20 times more dangerous than skydiving. Just because the nature, you you have a single parachute and you're closer to terrain. Now, I think what gets seen on YouTube and a lot of the videos that gets out there is definitely some of the more daredevil type videos that we see, like guys flying really close through really tight canyons and cracks with their wingsuits going like over 100 miles an hour, just inches away from you know granite rocks um and those are the videos that kind of get gets out there on like youtube and but that's you know that's that's a very small group of people small small community of like more adventure type athletes that are out there pursuing that kind of 95 percent of the sport they do not want to fly the their wingsuit through a tight canyon you know that's not their ambition ambition or end goal it's just to fly and to fly their wingsuit maybe in the sky um i think the general direction of the sport kind of is in more of a controlled environment you know body flying indoor flying as a professional do you ever feel pressured to push it in that direction i mean do you think that is it a thing kind of in the community that well if i'm going to make a living doing this then i have to do these kind of riskier things I think I honestly think that that's a very easy trap to fall into. I personally don't fall for that trick anymore. <laughs> Maybe just because I have certain opportunities that I've created as a professional that I don't I don't really need to, you know, and I see a lot of possibilities and opportunities where you know, I can do things that are really cool, very unique and you know, not pushing the limits and being on that like one percent being so close to the edge you know i can kind of reel it back just a little bit but i think it's a very easy trap to fall into because people want to get noticed and you know there is that point maybe where you're almost professional or young professional and you want to be noticed you're not getting the attention you're getting and you know you're just you're just going that extra mile and you're kind of willing to do whatever it takes to, uh, and I think that's like in any sport or anything in life, you know, you're just going to have some people who are more desperate to get to a certain level. And if they can get that attention, 
Yeah, they'll do anything. Some people will do anything, and they'll you know they'll li- literally risk their lives doing it. And I feel that maybe you know there was a period in my career, maybe I, I was a little bit more on that side of it. But um, I've seen I've seen people go like way deeper, way closer to the edge. You know, I don't want to know how far too far is. I, I would imagine though, throughout twenty thousand jumps, have you had some close calls? I've had a few close calls. You know, honestly, just in I probably had more just closer calls in the base jumping world of it. Um, in the skydiving world, uh, you know, there's little things that happen kind of on a regular basis, even. But you know, just like driving a car, like ooh, you got to swerve to avoid. You know, someone just slams on their brake in front of you. You got to get on your brakes really quick, and like, oh, you just avoided an accident or. There's a lot of like daily, day to day things that happen like that in skydiving for sure. Um, whether it's the parachute during the parachute opening or maybe traffic with other skydivers, but you know those 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 are like just like I said, they're as common as like driving around and having to avoid minor accidents and stuff. But um, I'd say the, the the bigger close calls I had were were in base jumping. Um, which is kind of crazy, you know, because I have 20,000 skydives and I have probably, you know, less than 1,000 base jumps. And the number of incidents that I've had in base jumping surpasses the number of incidents of skydiving by like 20 times. But like I've got 20 times less base jumps, which is crazy. It's just crazy. So, I mean, that just shows to you how dangerous base jumping can be, I think. Is there is there one that kind of stands out in your head? Was it just because... I mean, I don't even know enough about it necessarily, uh, yeah, necessarily yeah, to say like. A good one. I mean, so absolutely. Like, sorry, sorry to cut you out there, but yeah, actually, it happened here in Arizona. Um, I had a, I was jumping up north in near Saguaro Lake, off of a cliff, a low cliff, and when I jumped and deployed my parachute, my parachute basically opened 180 degrees off heading, so it kind of. As the parachute opens and it's lifting off your out of the backpack, you know, and it twisted 180 degrees. And as soon as the parachute inflates, it's, it begins flying forward. And during this opening, it came off my back, went 180. So now I'm just flying straight back into the wall of this cliff. And there was not many options, not nowhere really to go. You know, this isn't like a nice, shiny, flat cliff or anything. It's kind of bowls out you know you don't even want to have like a a a 90 degree opening left or right because the kind of the cliff kind of wraps around so it's it's really just want this parachute to open straight on and it opens straight at the wall i smash into the wall i basically like fly and crash into the side of the cliff parachutes crashing into the everything and then now when the parachute hit the side of the cliff all the air the way the parachute inflates is air goes into the front of the canopy, like into the nose of the canopy. And now that is against the wall, kind of prohibiting air from entering the parachute. So I kind of, I I just start sliding down the wall. You know, the the parachute's still semi-inflated. I smashed in a wall during that, during the initial impact, I actually shattered a few bones, but I had so much adrenaline going in me. You know, I just was like in complete survival mode at that moment, not scared at all. You just react like and then the fear kicks in. Right. 
I was just reacting. I had so much adrenaline, like didn't even feel the pain yet. But I managed to stall the parachute, basically like kind of fly it away from the wall backwards. I, bat- I, I like put the parachute into reverse and got the parachute unstuck off the wall as I was sliding down this wall. Um, just before I kind of hit the bottom, I got the parachute backed away, turned 180, and I was able to fly away from the talus where, you know, the ground starts coming out. It's, it's, it's not vertical anymore. It starts kind of coming out. So, I, I mean, I just cleared the talus maybe by like 50 feet. And, you know, otherwise I would have probably, you know, I'd, I would have had a pretty good impact on the bottom side too. After I landed, and I was like standing there. I'm like, like, oh my god! Like, you know, you're just, just overwhelmed. But that was that was a really close call. I mean, that could have turned into like more than just you know shattered wrists. Instead of hiking out with two beat up arms, I would have been getting, I would have been airlifted out of there. Whenever something, and I mean, this is going to be kind of general, I guess. But whenever something like that happens to a skydiver, is it? Can you trace it back? to somebody making a mistake or to things like sometimes man Absolutely. stuff just stuff just happens in skydiving i mean just like anything you know i think you should you could always trace it back to a reason you know it's sometimes hard to identify that reason and then you might brush it off and be like oh things just happen but if you really break it down and look at every little step and every little thing you can usually identify like what happened when you pack a parachute same exact way every single time and then you have one that just opens like like that did on that wall like i'm like but i'm pretty sure i packed it the same exact way but then when i start thinking about the wind conditions that i was jumping in like yeah it was getting a little hot on that jump the winds might have been a little funky that might have probably been the, the case of why my parachute twi- turned 180 on that cliff because it's much more sensitive. Jumping off of low objects in base jumping j- winds becomes a much bigger, much greater factor. You know, skydiving you can jump in 20 mile an hour winds and it's no big deal. <laughs> base jumping low objects you want to jump almost in no, pretty close to no winds because such such subtle winds. You know, and little effects on that, that parachute during deployment. I mean, it, it can it can have drastic effects. So, you're kind of a pioneer in this. What is swooping? Swooping is basically like what birds do. You know, they come down, they dive down to the ground. Like you watch, like a bird land in the water, and they just kind of like come flying down, and they set down, and they and they put their you know their chest and their bellies into the water, and they just come like in like a little jet ski or boat and they kind of cruise to a stop that's basically what swooping is with a parachute it's diving a parachute a small parachute putting it into a dive allowing that parachute to kind of pick up speed and then pulling it out of its dive timing it altitude wise with just recovering so you're coming out horizontally as you're approaching the ground so now you're flying horizontally across the ground you know you can swoop you can you can transition and, and basically come in swooping across the ground close to 100 miles an hour on some parachutes and then as you're flying across the ground the parachute since there's no motor just slowly decelerates 
all the way to the end of the landing where you're basically at like you know walking speed like when you actually touch your foot down for the first time to like transfer the weight onto your feet onto the earth you know how did you invent that how did you come up with it oh i didn't invent um swooping per se i mean swooping is kind of like an evolved thing through the sport over the years it kind of evolved during the time i since the time i began skydiving before that the parachutes really didn't uh, the designs of the parachutes really didn't allow that type of, you know, the performance wasn't there with the parachutes. So I kind of evolved with the evolution of swooping itself. There are certain things maybe in swooping, like certain tricks that I, you know, I kind of pioneered or invented. But swooping in itself was something that the sport was playing with. Like everybody in the sport was trying to make parachutes swoop across the ground farther i did however invent a few tricks we call like freestyle swooping so you know it's kind of like equivalent to motocross and freestyle motocross where you had like travis Estrana and these guys doing like the first backflips you know as opposed to just jumping right uh, so swooping would be like jumping freestyle swooping was like doing backflips while swooping how we don't do backflips but we you know fly backwards let go of control Trolls twist into twist around so you're just like flying across the ground as you're spinning underneath the parachute like putting yourself into twists on lines just the same way you put yourself into a twist on a swing set <laughs> but you're doing this under a wing that's kind of moving across the ground so you have to control the wing at the same time so you're not like popping up or flying over or <laughs> flipping over to the side and slamming yourself in the ground you got to kind of maintain control while performing these tricks and and keep the parachute flying flat, level, and straight the entire time. Either my re- reading comprehension isn't that great. Wikipedia kind of credits you. They basically say, like, you invented it. I, I read my Wikipedia page once, like, when I, but, I, you know, I, should, I, I don't remember it. Like, I, I, have, I should reread it. It's, <laughs> I look, forget that there's a Wikipedia page. I, it, look, I'm gonna, I won't lie to you. It's actually pretty good. Like, wow, this is a pretty, this is a pretty good in Wikipedia page. Oh, sweet. <laughs> I'll definitely check it out again. <laughs> now, you got into the... Now, people have probably seen you do a whole bunch of stuff and not necessarily known it. When did you get into movies? Probably, you know, a little bit more than a decade ago. Kind of entered the film world more through the commercials. You know, there was a lot, a lot, of, a lot of commercials. Skydiving has been... You know, it's definitely in a lot of movies, but I think... Personally, I've, I've just filmed more commercials. I've done probably more commercials than TV shows and then movies. Um, movies were, you know, big Hollywood blockbuster movies. Or I've only been involved in a you know, handful of those. But um, more than I can count commercials and, you know, definitely a bunch of TV shows. And, I, you know, I, honestly, I met one guy. His name is Joe Jennings. He was doing a lot of he – he's a cameraman. And basically, I mean, he's essentially a, a camera flyer. He would jump out of planes with these giant, like, 16, 32 mil, like, these giant film cameras. Before red cameras and digital cameras coming out, I mean, he was literally, like, mounting these massive 10-pound-plus cameras to his head, with, like, jumping with battery packs on his chest. And Anyway, he was the guy, one of the guys who was filming a lot of, you know, any kind of anything you saw on TV at the time. I mean, it was probably from, like, you know, one 
Joe was like one of the guys who was doing this stuff. And I met Joe Jennings in early 2000. And I just was like, man, you're awesome. I'm such a fan. Like, I love what you do. I admire what you do. And like, it's my dream to kind of one day do that. And I remember he, he was like, told me, he was like, dude, I've seen what you're doing out, out there in the sport. It's sick. I would love to work with you one day and get you involved in this somehow and get your skills on camera, you know, like, and I was like, wow, really? And I just remember having this conversation with him at a convention, actually. We were, I met him at a convention. And then shortly after, you know, he called me up for for a gig and was like, hey, are you available? Are you, I'm, I have something in Arizona we're going to film. And it was for, um, it was for a, a commercial. And, and I was like, I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, let's do this, you know? And, and then that was like kind of my foot in the door. We got along really, really well. Um, and I think I, that was very easy for him to work with. He's like, okay, we need to go get the shot. And it was just like one of those things where I, we go up in the air and we do exactly as we planned. We land and it was like, boom, in the can. We got the shot. All right, let's go get the next shot. And we just worked so well together, and I was able to always give him what he needed. And we were just, you know, we became buddies. You know, it's, it's just, it, you know, at that part, I think it really was just kind of networking was really the, uh, the key to that. And, and you know, just having some skill. Is there one, what's what's the one one or two that kind of stand out to you, the stunts that you have done or the, the scenes that you've been in? <laughs> All right, well, my favorite one is actually with Joe. So Joe is notorious, like, he always got the jobs where commercials or TV shows or whatever it was, they always wanted to throw things out of planes, whether it's cars, living room sets, bat, toilet bowls, bats, like what, like just, can you ride a toilet bowl in free fall? Like, sure. <laughs> um, or ride this car out of the back of a plane. Like Joe always got the phone calls for building weird things and throwing them out of the back of airplanes. And I was willing to ride around on these things. One of the things we built was for a commercial was for N- NVIDIA, which is basically a, um, they make graphic cards and consoles. Like if you Google NVIDIA, it's like N-V-I-D-I-A. For those of you know, who've never heard of this before, NVIDIA, rule the living room. Just Google that. <laughs> And it's basically the commercial of, of me riding a complete living room set out of the back of an airplane, sitting on a couch, just like you would at home. I mean, it was like, just take your living room, put it on a platform, and I'm sitting on the couch playing video games in front of a TV, but in free fall. <laughs> you- no skill really involved in that. All you got to do is like, hang on, hang on to the couch <laughs> yeah. and try to act cool. That's you, that's the stunt. Act cool. Don't act scared. <laughs> now, do you? I would imagine you only get one shot at that. It's not like you don't do multiple takes of a stunt like that, right? Uh, well, sometimes you do. I mean, we just in that case we actually built three identical living room sets, so we did have the opportunity to make a few jumps with them. But yeah, once once it was time for me to deploy, I, I, I hop off. You know, I open my parachute, and then the living room set just continues to fall for the last three, 4,000 feet until it impacts with the desert. 
<laughs> and basically, yeah, there's nothing left to show for it. I mean, it's completely, completely trashed. It's, uh, it's something. And the same thing with cars. I mean, we've done cars. And you can't, some cars are like, oh my God. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be in that car. Some of these things that you can't even identify them as cars anymore. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe that was a, a Honda. You do some training for the military too, right? Yeah, yeah, I work with, I, I do some training for the military, you know. It's pretty simple stuff, too. I mean, those guys, it's no secret. Military jumps out of airplanes. You know, they don't want to break their legs either. So I just, you know, kind of teach them to not break their legs. They got they got to get to work, you know. The parachute ride for them is just a mode of transportation. It's just the beginning of their job. They're not, like, trying to become world champion skydivers. They're just like, listen, I just want to land safely. You're teaching them much more just kind of like the basics of it. You're not necessarily teaching them like how to free fall through a canyon or no. something like that. No, it's more the basic stuff. I mean, it's it's all basics. You know? It's just really just getting them from airplane to the ground safely. How much stuff are you still doing with uh, Red Bull? Uh, a lot, actually. Uh, just a really cool project that I did for Red Bull. It was called Where in the World is Jeffro? And I traveled... To as many new locations that I've never jumped in before. In the shortest period of time, I went to four different continents, did very unique skydives in all these locations. Um, um, some of the locations, I was only there for you know five or six hours, and then boom, straight to the airport, back on the plane, bam, bam, bam. And it was amazing. It was actually amazing, the weather in every place. I just I had such small windows to jump in, like, for example, I went to New Mexico. It started in New Mexico. I had a two-hour jump window in New Mexico to jump over White Sands, New Mexico. And it was just like – and it was scheduled to rain that day. Out, You know, I mean, the chances of that – and it was. It was rain pouring all night. And then at 6 a.m., it just stopped and it broke. And it was like amazing. It was scheduled to rain all day. And we had blue skies. So it was amazing. But and the same thing. I was, and I went to Colombia. I had a three-hour jump window in Colombia, and that was like traveling there and driving six hours. And I, I went to this lake in the middle of the jungle. You can only get there by air or boat. It's a canyon lake. You only get there by air or boat. I had a three-hour jump window, and it was raining when we got there, and then it just stopped. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I was always stressed that, like, the weather was going like, to come in, and I traveled all the way you know, 20 hours to get to this location, and now I'm not going to be able to jump. And I got to jump, and then went to South Africa, uh, did a balloon jump over the second largest population of uh, rhino. Probably my favorite jump of the trip because there was a lot of, you know, it was just a cool, fun jump. There was a lot of meaning behind it. Um, I I took advantage of that jump to raise a lot of awareness, uh, to stop poaching. And I, I, you know, I I learned a lot myself about what's going on. I want to be just more involved with conservation. And then I got to go to London also. I did some, a, a jump in London. in London. I mean, it always rains in the UK. Everybody's like, all right, rain, rainy, rainy, rain. Got to London. I, most two beautiful day. I was there for two days, actually. But uh, one day I one day was just indoor skydiving, downtown London, exploring, and then driving to the skydiving location. And I had... One day to jump there, and it was gorgeous. And I got to jump with the Red Devils, the, uh, the basically their their demonstration team from the military. Yeah, you know, I do a lot with Red Bull. Um, we have a lot of lot of demonstrations. We jump into a lot of different events. What's beautiful and I love about Red Bull is we can kind of 
dream or create these crazy ideas like dream jumps that we've always wanted to do. And I can go to Red Bull and be like, hey, check this out, you know, and they'll, their marketing team will get behind it and they'll figure out a way to like, strat, you know, how can, you know, we flip this into like some marketing strategy and, you know, they'll make our dream jumps come true. I mean, we are meant to be together. I mean, we're like skydiving and Red Bull is, I mean, goes hand in hand. Your nick, your nickname is Jeffro. Where do you think that ranks in the pantheon of good sports nicknames? Like, are you putting that at the top, the middle, the bottom? Where are you putting that? Whew. Um, I, I probably might put it up at the top. I mean, it's, it's only got six letters, so that's good. It's one name. It's not like, you know, like something sketchy or, you know, you don't want to have like the nickname with the word sketchy in it or danger, you know. Something bad. I think. I think it's just good. You know, there's nothing negative. It has like a good little ring to it. it. Has like a positive, happy sound to it. I think. I would say. And it's a short. It's short. There's only like six letters, so it's like just bam. You know, it's it's an easy one. Is you is does anybody else though in your sport or in others? Does anybody else have a nickname that you're kind of jealous of? Like, man, I wish I wish I got that nickname. Um. Hmm. There's definitely, I just, I, you know, there's... Yeah, it's tough to do it on the spot. You know, no, we got John DeVore, we call him Alaska John, but, you know... Yeah. I'd be like, hey, New York Jeff, you know? I mean, what is the best skydiving scene in a movie? Point Break. Are you kidding me? That's why I started skydiving. That's why I kind of say it, but Point Break. Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves, you know... You pull. No, you pull. <laughs> yeah, you really can't beat that one. What's What's the worst skydiving? No, I mean, it's totally unrealistic. It's totally unrealistic. I mean, that whole scene is like, you watch that as, as before you skydive, and you're like, oh, my God, that's what skydiving is all about. And then you do like 10 jumps, and you're like, oh, my God, that's total BS. But still, still hands down best scene. Like, love it. What's the worst skydiving scene in a movie? Oh, God. Um, you know, there's a lot, you know, any of the ones that are just like completely fake, like they didn't even, they didn't even do a single sky. It's completely CG, you know? Um, I think there was one in the new, uh, a scene in Deadpool where they like were flying parachutes and, you know, it was all CGI, the whole thing. It's so obvious, you know, when they just like when Hollywood just tries to cut that corner and and oh, we'll just we'll just do this in you know blue screen, and it's like yeah, and it looks like crap. Like you just ruined the movie now. What is the best skydiving joke? You know, I wouldn't say it's a joke, but it's probably the most common thing I hear is why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? <laughs> What's your response like, they're, to They're not perfect is the answer. They're not perfect. None of them are. <laughs> How many times will someone say that to you on a weekly basis? Oh, God. I mean, how many times on a daily basis do you hear that? That is the most annoying question you could probably ask a skydiver. It's like, huh. It's just like, don't ask that. Just like, anybody hearing this, just like, don't be that person because you're just like that guy who's like, oh, God, that's the question that everybody 
Everybody says it. Don't be like everybody. Don't do it. <laughs> when people when people ask you that, can you like tell it's coming? Do they have like a look on their face that? Instantly. I mean, it's like you sit, I sit down and I got like I get on a Delta flight, like flying commercially. I sit down and like someone sparks up a question. Of course, like, what do you do? Da, 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 da. I'm like, here it comes. Why would you do it? You're like, you just know it's coming. You just know it's coming. I can picture the guy who asked that question too. Like, I know exactly what that guy looks like. <laughs> he's probably in. <laughs> yeah. He's in his mid forties. He's probably got some kind of briefcase with him. Th- that's pretty much all the questions I got for you, man. What's What's next for you? What's coming up? Uh, actually, so I am driving out to L.A. today to go to Red Bull headquarters to train at the Red Bull High Performance Gym. So they have a really cool high performance training center there with just elite coaches and trainers, physical therapists, neurologists, um, uh, chiropractors and massage therapists and nutritionists. So just basically everything like, you know, and a very, you know, an athlete would dream to have it's like all the facilities and just all this knowledge and just access to all this. And really I just go there for, I try to go there like every six weeks and, you know, just try to, work with these guys and learn as much as I can to do whatever I can do to become better at the sport. So it's basically my goal is, you know, what I always ask myself, what am I doing outside of the sport to become better in, in the sport? So it's not just like going out there and doing a thousand jumps a year and, and, you know, doing the craziest jumps, but, you know, cross training is a huge part. Um, and, you know, just performing at peak levels, whether it's like, you know, improving sleep, through supplements, you know, whatever it is, meditation, float tanks, yoga, strength training, all of that, just encompassing all, and really, like, trying to find all those things that really um, can make me better at what I do. I want to thank Jeff so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. His Instagram is awesome. Just seeing all of these different stunts and these skydives that he does, it's just really cool to see. Not just because of the skydiving aspect of it, but also he travels around the world. And it's it's interesting to see all the preparation that goes into these different skydives. You can also find some more information about him and some links to videos of some of the stunts that he has done. They're really cool to just check out. You can find that in the RSS feed that's on this podcast. So now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. Usually he likes to ask me who the guest is going to be before I call him. I usually don't tell him just because I, I don't think it's going to change anything. But now I have started telling him. Let's see if that really changes anything. Hello, Nick. How are you doing today? I'm doing right. Are you in a bird sanctuary? It's actually been a terrible day. Are you in a bird sanctuary again? What's going on? I I am outside on my patio, yes. Will you just hold your phone up for like 15 seconds? Just hold it out to the nature. Sure. Ready? Ready? Here we go. Now, of course, all the birds are quiet. But as soon as you answer the phone, that's all I hear is birds. How great was that? This is the only podcast where I can record outside. I don't think that's true at all. I mean, well, it is true in the sense it's the only podcast that you're on, the only one that you could do it. 
So it's true like that, yes. but otherwise it's completely wrong. Well, more power to them. They're not as cool as me, I can guarantee that. And they're not right next to a to a bird sanctuary. How close how close are the trees to your to you right now? Because I can clearly hear the birds. Oh, they're probably a good 20, 30 yards away from me. What kind of birds are we talking about? Can you identify birds? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. If you want, I can walk but I can walk into my house where there will be no bird chatter. It's a little bit distracting. I think it's kind of funny for probably the first two minutes, but after that, it's just going to be annoying. Do you have power in your house yet, or has the city of Detroit collapsed? Uh, we do have power. We got it back uh, a, little, a little while ago, yes. Are you generally like an outside sitter? Like, will you be inside and think, wow, I need to relax more, so I'm going to go outside? I wouldn't say that's the thought, but I, I do like I do like sitting outside. What do you do? Do you just sitting out there? Like, are you by yourself sitting out there staring at trees? <laughs> think of uh, think of Forrest Gump, you know, like that really awkward looking person just standing or sitting around. That that's probably the way I look when I sit outside. You get a lot of butt sweat. I bet you get some serious butt sweat. <laughs> you know, I I don't really know. I don't think I do, but well, check real quick. It. How long were you outside? Uh, 10 minutes. Check. Just reach back there and see if you got it. No, nah, there's no, there's no real butt sweat. Did it's you, not hot enough yet. Did you not check or you just, you don't want to admit it? No, I, I checked. Of course I checked. I think, I think butt sweat is something though you can kind of tell when it's happening. I don't know. I don't think you can really tell in a car. Like it's harder to tell in a car when you then you like stand up. I don't really get butt sweat. I get like the thigh sweat. Like where you just kind of like oh, peel yourself up a little bit. Are you more? Are you a butt sweater, a thigh sweater, or a low back sweater? I'm definitely a low back sweater. Not so much a thigh sweater. Yeah, a butt sweater maybe, but definitely a low back sweater. I don't know what that means. Well, it means you sweat on your low back. It means like if you were to rub your low back right now, you're gonna have some moisture there. See, my low back is dry. The butt is dry. The thighs are probably the hottest part, is what I would say. That's what she said. hey I do have nice legs. I've been told multiple times I have nice legs. All right, so you ready to make fun of me? I don't have any intention of making fun of you. Why right, would you well, say that? I'm, I'm gonna set. I'm gonna set this up for you perfectly. I don't think you. Maybe, I don't. I don't really think that you need to do that. I think that that'll it'll just happen on its own. That's. I mean, that's what I mean. Like what I'm about to ask you is going to set myself up perfectly, even though to me it's not funny, and maybe to you and to others it's not funny, but I was around a, around a group of individuals last night who, who, who thought that this was hilarious. Okay, let's hear it. Let's hear it. So I wear boat shoes, right? They're low-cut shoes, whatever, for, <laughs> for, the, for the spring and summer. <laughs> Why? Why do you have boat shoes? Is this like when you tried to wear skinny jeans as a 270-pound man and no one understood why this was happening? First off, but see, that's already like – this is already where I don't understand. There's no comparison to skinny jeans to boat shoes. You're not the kind of person who should be wearing boat shoes. You're just not. I don't – but I don't understand like why. I They're – you asked me why I wear them. I wear them because they're comfortable, they're slip-on, and, like, I have ones that, like, you know, they allow your the, the shoe to breathe, so there's, like, air that comes in and out. 
I'm a big believer in the idea that if there's any kind of like fashion or just social decorum things and somebody and if you have and somebody tells you you shouldn't be doing that and you have to ask why they can't explain it to you like you, you just can't be explained like you should just know and if you don't know that's why you shouldn't be doing it because you don't know why you shouldn't be doing it that's why you shouldn't be doing it well i, I do it because of the reason i just explained but that's not that's not the point the point is we were playing ping pong and we were in a basement and it, uh, and it, it, I believe it had just gotten refinished not too long ago. So we were slipping and sliding. So my partner suggested that I take off my shoes, my mm-hmm. own shoes. Okay. okay. So I did that and that's when everything started. That's when everything fell off the track, so to speak, because I was wearing low cut socks that look like. They're, they're basically booties. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I have those kind of socks on right now. I favor those socks. I like them a lot. Not ankle socks, but like the low-cut booty socks. Oh, you mean like women wear when they wear yes. high heels? Yes. Okay, where did you buy those? Why do you have them? I I didn't buy them. My wife bought them because I don't like being barefoot. And I don't like wearing shoes without socks. Okay. But But – because because when I when I had boat shoes before before uh, I would wear you know ankle socks or even mid cut socks and my wife was like you look like a goddamn you know white piece of trash yeah that's pretty horrific looking boat shoes and wearing like calf socks that's not <laughs> so so she bought what is what is However, wrong with you the people that I was with. Uh, have made it. They're, they're they're still making it to be this gigantic thing that it's the funniest thing you know that they've ever seen in the last month. And I don't think it's that. I don't think it's funny. I mean, I they're quite comfortable. They cause my foot not to you know sweat into the the shoe, and then my you know I don't ruin the shoe. I don't. My foot doesn't stick to the shoe. I'm just saying. He, I don't understand uh, what's so funny about the you know, feet condoms that I was wearing for my boat shoes. Here's what's funny about it. For people who have never seen John, John is built like a reverse pear. And <laughs> he's not a Thank small you. man. So it's basically like this large man wearing these little tiny booty socks, which just looks ridiculous. So basically imagine if someone was able to take a baby, like a five- or six-month-old baby, inflate them to the size of a grown man who looks like a pear and has socks on. And that's essentially why people were making fun of you, because you just look ridiculous. But it's, uh, you know, I mean, I I don't disagree. Actually, that was a great representation and, like, description of me. Yeah, it's basically a giant baby with socks on is what you look like. If I were to die tomorrow, I I think what you just said – should I go in my obit? <laughs> yeah, I think that would be pretty accurate. Are you – none of this is important. What do you call a painter who almost died? Fuck, I screwed this up. Hold up. What do you call it when – what What do you call it when a painter almost dies? What? A brush with death. <laughs> That's terrible. Would you go skydiving? Have you been skydiving? Uh, I have never been. Uh, I would love to go skydiving, actually. Um, 
Have you ever been skydiving? Yeah, I went once when I think I was like 18. I went. It was cool. The problem is is that I went – I did the tandem thing where you've got like some dude on your back and he put the straps on a little bit too <laughs> – You finish. Walked right into that one. Um, he put – so the dude on my back put the strap on too tight. Um, hey yo. But it's – he put them on a little bit too tight and they're kind of across pressure points and I basically blacked out on the way down and I just remember as we were landing he's like just lift your legs and roll and that's <laughs> that is, that's basically how that went huh so so you're saying you blacked out because of of the pressure the strap on was causing you not from just free falling 10,000 feet to, to the you know to the earth and do you want to do you want another shot at that or do you, are you happy with the way that you phrased that I, I'd say we should just move on. I'm not sure even if I got another shot, I would make it any more successful. Yeah, I mean, I know what you were trying to go for there. It was a little bit difficult. It's kind of hard to just word it really quickly. Um, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot and ask, like, so did you black out because the strap-on was too tight once he put it on you? Or because you were just, like, too excited from just having the strap-on? <laughs> See, I that that, you know... That yeah. was marginally better, but it was better. Yeah, it's it's tough to really make it work. Um, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had somebody that you've known for a while? Have you ever had that person say something or do something or you suddenly find out something about that person and it changes your opinion about them entirely? Like just one one thing completely changes your opinion. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's there's been a few instances, not uh, not any that I, I necessarily care to to talk about uh, publicly, but uh, but yes, there are there are some instances where I've known somebody for quite a while, and then uh, and and stop me if this isn't what you're referring to, but you know they they either something either comes out about them, a decision they made, or something that they've done or or are doing, and you know. You, everything you thought that you knew about that person, uh, or even if you had a lot of respect for them, it just changes everything that you think about that person. So since you're going to be vague, I'm going to be more specific. Basically, I have a relative. I will not name the relative. But I have a relative that I recently found their Twitter account. And when I found their Twitter account, there was some stuff on there. They were retweeting the kinds of things and liking and posting the kinds of things that just all of a sudden made you go, oh, my God. No, here is my question. I really want to subtly let them know that I know. Do you think that is a good idea? Um, I think you really have to to weigh, is it worth, you know, and, and this can go for any of these situations, in my opinion, is you have to weigh, you know, the question of, is you bringing it up, uh, going to even matter like is it are you just going to be adding fuel to the fire or you know or if you let them know like hey you know is that gonna does that gonna change anything are they are they gonna automatically become aware now because you know you know what i mean yeah for to add a little bit more clarity to it for people that are listening the um person basically is 
full-blown conspiracy theory kind of stuff. Like the kind of things that you'd be like, whoa, you think that's actually happening kind of stuff? And it's it's pretty out there. Like I would say that it's not quite – it's not a 10 out of 10, but it's like a 9 out of 10. And I just – I want to let them know. But I don't know if I want to let them know because I want them to know that I know or be, to try to kind of correct their course like, hey, you can't – like you, because I, I think that people can get on conspiracy theories and just kind of go down a black hole and nobody is there to like, hey, that like, that's not how this works at all. There's no one there to kind of course correct them. What, what, would, what would John Shull do? Oh, I would, I would steer clear of it. I, w- I mean, if it – now I know you haven't revealed who it is. You said a relative, but you know you didn't say if it was a close relative, a distant relative. Anyways, if it was a friend of mine, I would have no problem confronting them. If it was my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, I would probably just leave it alone. If it was Uncle Jimmy, who I only see on Facebook, probably wouldn't care. I mean, what makes you think they're going to listen to you? Oh, nothing. I think they would actually probably double down if I said something. I think that's the thing about, like, conspiracy theories, those kind of things, is that if you point it out to somebody, it's more evidence that they're right. Like, that's that's the whole thing, right? Yeah, I, I mean, that that is the thing. And, and listen, I've, I've been criticized on this show for saying some pretty dumbass things. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, which I've had to backtrack on most of those. Um, but you know, I, I am I am in no means a conspiracy theorist, and I, I'm not even entirely sure I know of the ones you're referring to. Sometimes, you know, when people believe things that are just 100 percent not true, but yet they believe them and believe them. I mean, I, I don't, no one's going to change their mind. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Um, why did the man sell his vacuum cleaner? I feel like I know this, but what? Why? It was just sitting there collecting dust. <laughs> I knew it was something to do with dust. John's Fast Five. Pew, 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 pew. John's Fast Five. Pew, 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 pew. John's Fast Five. My turn! My turn! <laughs> Wait a second. Wait. My turn! This isn't going to work while he's out awake. You know that, right? Do you have do you have a fast 5? What's going on here? What do you what do you want to talk about? I don't want to do the fast 5 because it takes too long. But what is the big thing on John Shaw's mind this week? Mm, I really don't. I mean, I don't really have one big thing. Um I like to think you know, that you I like the idea that you spent the whole week without thinking about anything. Here's the other thing that I want to ask you about because I got, you always yeah, I have stuff to talk about but well because it, <laughs> you took too long. You always ask me who the guest is. And recently I don't tell you or I haven't in the past told you because I don't think that it matters. Like I don't know what, what what's going to change anything. And now I've been right. telling you. So now that I've been telling you, how does that change how does that change what you're bringing to the table? Because now I know where we're, why you're asking me certain questions, and and you know where we're steering the ship. Okay. I I feel that I I mean I I should be up on on whoever the guest is. I mean, I mean I I don't see why not. Okay, my thing is is just because okay, so you know that this week our our guest is a professional skydiver, 
So how has that changed, you knowing that, how has that changed your approach to the show? Because now, uh, now I, I'm already thinking about ways to, to promo it on my Twitter account that gets 750 followers because he's not only a skydiver, I believe. I believe he's one of the more famous, like, extreme sports guys right now or athletes uh, that we have, I think. He, he's I kind didn't of a re- badass. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, he's actually a pretty cool dude as well. He's a really nice guy. And he's, you weren't he's, expecting that answer, were you? No, but it's kind of a meaningless answer. It's right, like, okay, so now you know, so you can send out one tweet three days after the episode goes out at 6 o'clock I mean, in the, the morning. Is, why, why wouldn't you want me to know? Am I not part of the team? No, I, you know the reason is because I know that it secretly annoys you, and I like you to come in fired up. <laughs> I hate when you annoy me. Everyone else annoys me. Why, why would you want to annoy me? Except you are one of three people in my life that have this this knack to just piss me off for no reason. You know why? You know why people like to annoy you? Because you're the kind of guy who wears boat shoes with booties on. And you're just fucking asking for it. You're just asking for it. They're called men's low-cut socks, okay? Listen, there's nothing manly. There is nothing manly about booty socks. So if you want to call them whatever you want to call them, that's fine. But take the man's part out of it. You know, this is all my fault because it's the people that I surround myself with. I'm sure somewhere in this world there's a bunch of hipster, you know, hipster emotional assholes out there that would be really nice to me and treat me the way that I deserve to be treated. But instead, I just blunt myself for punishment. But but they would be it would be fake. Like they wouldn't be really giving you the respect that you deserve. Well, I mean that that's true, but at least I can wear my skinny jeans and my men's low-cut socks and I would fit right in. That's true. So you would rather be fakely appreciated than authentic, authentically made fun of? No, I know. I mean, listen, I have a great group of friends. I guess you're included in that. You know, I think it's great to hold people accountable, um, even when it makes them want to choke you out, uh, as I want to do to you most days. Um, what was your what was your big thought? Did you have one, or did I make fun of you out of it? I don't remember. Well, I mean, you made fun of me out of it. Um, are you ready for our top? Are you ready for the top five? <laughs> oh my god! Can I just put it on record that I might be an ass clown, but you're also an ass clown? I'm okay with that. We can be uh, ass clowns together. <laughs> uh, yes, I am quite excited because my number one, I think. I don't know if you've ever played it or heard of it, but I think it's gonna like. You're gonna love it as soon as I as soon as I say it. Okay, I think the only thing that we that we should mention before we get into this, I think some of them get called a lot of different things. So if you think people call it a lot of different stuff, describe it a little bit because one of them I was like looking for the name, and that's the one that anyway. I'll just start the thing that we're talking about is top five drinking games. What is your number five? Uh, Edward Forty Hands. Oh, that is way too low, or way too high for. Wait a minute. Yeah, way too low. Way yeah, too it's low. Way too low. Way too low. I think. I think that's much higher. That's actually my number two. Is Edward Forty oh, Hands? Oh man. And 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 in in a minute or so. To what? What do you have a Edward Forty Hands story that sticks out? 
No, because I don't remember any of them. <laughs> no, I do have one. I remember doing one with Mickey's. I put Mickey's on my hands, and then oh. that was the that was the end of that weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's. But uh, now, are are you one of these people? You know, did you try to get the tape off, or did you just man up and like break the bottles and and, and you know go from there? I don't remember. I have no idea. Absolutely no okay. idea. I've literally only seen like three or four people actually break the bottles, and they've always regretted it. Yeah, yeah, that's always <laughs> it. Never goes well. I I've never. played Edward Forty Hands enough times to be like, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, <laughs> my number five, we called it Circle of Death. That's the one where you take like the uh, a a pack of playing cards, you put them face okay. down, you spread it around, and then whatever you draw. You give it to other people or you have to take it based on the color. That We called it Circle of Death. I guess it's also called King's Cup. Yeah, yeah. I, I know it as King's Cup. Uh, that did not make my list, but uh, that is a good one. What's your, number, uh, what's your number four? My number four is Beer Roulette, um, which is, depending on how many people are playing, you take a case of beer and you know someone goes into the other room, shakes one up, and you you know you pass out the beers and then whoever opens the you know whoever gets the one that explodes has to has to chug that beer and then two more beers wow that is that's it yeah i mean it's it's a lot of fun because it's, it's always you know i was never you know the person that got that got the shaken beer i always wanted to be but it's always the people that like never really wanted to play, but then by the end of it, they just chuck three beers and were on their way to having a good night. Yeah, I, I, I think a good drinking game you should play for maybe the first hour, and then after that, you really got to cut it off because otherwise, it's just it's great to get the <laughs> night started. But after that, also, while we're on this topic, quick shout out to my wife who used to play all drinking games with rum and coke. Yeah, I. I'm actually going to talk about that uh, in in a game from now. But yes, people who play with liquor, uh, automatic badasses. Um, <laughs> my number four is uh, Power Hour. Okay, now now how did you do Power Hour? Because I mean that's one of those that's pretty pretty loose on the rules. But the way that I remember playing Power Hour was it's one shot of beer every minute for an hour. And sometimes you double up and go two hours. I want to say that it ultimately came out to like six or eight beers, I think. I, I've i done it where you did a shot of liquor every ten minutes. So it was like, you know. Yeah, that'd be six beers, whatever, yeah. But, yeah but. I, it's a pretty solid game. I mean, it's a, I, I like it. I think four is about right for it. What's your number three? Uh, flip Cup. <sighs> You're an idiot. Why am I an idiot? Your number one must be pretty damn good. That is way too low for Flip Cup. Clip it cu- is. Flip, yeah, Flip Cup is one of the most exciting games that you can play. It is. And I <laughs> I have played it uh, a few times. And I I am the asshole that if, if you know, someone uses someone else's cup or, like, I call them on it and, like, we'll have to restart or like you know, go to a playoff or something. Like I, I get so involved in these stupid ass games; it's ridiculous. 
are you good at it? I feel like you're the guy that kind of cracks under pressure and like it's coming down to you and you've drank your beer, but you're trying to get your flip cup and then you flip it, but you flip it too hard and then it like falls off the table and rolls <laughs> under the table and you got to go get it. Like I feel like you might be the weak link. I actually am not the weak link, though I can tell you uh, wholeheartedly the weakest link uh, that I've ever played with is a good buddy of mine named Mark Hooten. You want to play with a guy who cracks under pressure playing flip cup, that's your guy. Never have him be your anchor. Yeah. Mark Hooten? (laughs) That's him. What's your number three? Uh, Beer Pong. I... Okay. To be honest, so, I, I don't really enjoy beer pong. I don't really like it, but I think that it's such a dominant game, you've got to put it up there higher. So beer pong's my number two. Okay. My number my number two is, like I said, Edward Forty Hands. Um, I'll just give my number one because we already talked about it. My number one is Flip Cup. So uh, that, I mean I mean that's respect I mean that's respectable. My I think my number one, you're either gonna love it or hate it. But I wanna go back to beer pong real fast because I I have to tell this story real fast. Me and actually Mark, we were teammates for a while in our early 20s. We were pretty good. And we were at a party, and we used to talk a lot of shit to the other team. Imagine that. And one time, I had talked a lot of shit to this one person. He got so mad, he threw a beer can at my head, like a loaded beer. <laughs> It it hit me in the face, so like as I'm like you know, bending down, all I see out of the corner of my eye is Mark just bolt after this kid, and uh, that 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 was a good that was a good time. Mark Mark got tackled, I guess, before he could get to the kid, um, but then the kid got kicked out of the party. But uh, what? Yeah, man, beer pong. You did, did you ever participate in a beer pong tournament in college? Yeah, I. Yeah, I you won a few? No. I'm a guaranteed loser at it all the time, even though I should be better. I just never particularly enjoyed it. We used to have, like, drunken Olympics where we had different games that you all had to do, and you had a winning team. Wait a minute. Were you the guy that had, like, your go-to teammate, and you'd walk into the party and, like, it's time for us? Where's Mark at? Were you that guy? Yeah, you're goddamn right I was. Oh. <sighs> I mean, we we just didn't lose very often. But what's the point? The point of a drinking game is to get drunk. It's not to just win. Like you win by losing. I mean, but you, but you win. You know, you win if you win. Like I'm, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a good time regardless. But I might as well not lose. You know what I mean? Wait. So you took a full beer can to the face? Yeah. I I mean, it could have been like, in all seriousness. You can get really hurt. Uh, that person should have gotten the shit kicked out of them. I feel like you're an instigator. Like there's this pattern of people. I actually kind of take the side of the guy who threw the beer can at you. Um, what is? <laughs> what's your number one? Uh, it's called Birio Kart. I have never heard of this. Explain. So you're playing Mario Kart, and you have one hand on the controller, and you know a beer in the other hand, and you have to drink you know well i want to say chug but those who know mario kart know that it's a few minutes so you have to drink your beer and finish the race uh but the only way you can technically win is obviously you could come in first but if you don't finish your beer you're not gonna you know it doesn't count 
So it's whoever finishes a race the quickest and drinks their beer. Okay. That's pretty legitimate. What do you have? Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of those I feel like you've got to be there a little bit. Like you probably have some good personal memories related to that game. I don't know if it's specifically out and out that strong of a game. But what did you have as uh, honorable mention? Um, well, before I say that, I, I have to give shout-outs to my buddy Dante. It was his idea. I don't know where he got it from, but it was his idea. Um, so my honorable mention, I mean, I have quarters down. Quarters can be fun. Okay. Um, I think it's kind of stupid, though, if you play somebody who's really good. Um, and they just they it can just be no fun. But uh, quarters, I have. Um, I, I've never done this, but people tell me that playing Twister is fun. I just feel uh, like that's – I don't want to physically exert myself while drinking. Yeah, I, I, I like I said, I, I've never done it, but I, I know other people have, and they say it's a great time. And um, and then I and then I have one on here. I, once again, I, I don't think that uh, anyone's probably played it, but uh, Beer, Beer Pingo, um, which is basically – it's uh, like bingo, but – Every time that, you know, a number, you have a number, you have to, like, drink half your beer. So by the time you're done with it, you could be, like, ten beers deep in a game of bingo. Wow. Yeah, that'll do it. So I don't really know the names of the ones that I have as honorable mention other than war. I always like doing that one where you just do straight-up war. That's that's going to be a rough night. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, there was that sounds rough. There was one where, like, somebody would pick a category. They would say, like, states. And you would have to – you just start naming states and whoever got doubled up or got one wrong or blanked, then they had to drink. That was always a good one too. <laughs> it's always good when you can add a little education into the drinking game. That's right. You got to build up the brain cells and then kill them off. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. We love hearing from you guys. Any comments that you want to make, just go ahead and send them right to us, whether they're good or bad. Either way, it's always entertaining to hear what you guys have to say. A quick update. I am still making my way through the Game of Thrones contest, but it's getting closer. I think I'm about halfway done with all of the entries, so hopefully we're going to go ahead and announce the winner of that contest coming up pretty quickly. We're also thinking of doing something. Next episode is going to be our 50th episode, and I feel like we should do some kind of contest related around that. I have absolutely no idea what it's going to be, but I know who the guest is going to be. It's professional bodybuilder Stan Efferding. And just talking to him in terms of training, nutrition, and bodybuilding, and working with professional athletes, he was so knowledgeable and so smart about all of these topics, I didn't really even know what he was talking about. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.